From the ISC, I am Lara Pedley and welcome to the ISC podcast, where I speak with inspiring insurance leaders about networking, mentorship and building a successful career in insurance. In today's episode, we'll be hearing from Jim Bishard, insurance leader at PwC. Jim leads the PwC UK insurance practice with responsibility for all PwC services to insurance clients across every industry segment, including leadership of PwC's consulting business, which supports their insurance and investment management clients. He previously led PwC's London market and broking team and works with clients ranging from global groups to insure tech startups. Jim is an active supporter of diversity and inclusion initiatives in the insurance industry and continues to prioritise this in his leadership roles. Tell us a bit about your career journey so far, Jim. Why financial services, uh, insurance specifically? Uh, I think I'm like a lot of people who work in insurance, which is that I didn't choose it. In fact, almost everyone I talk to has the same kind of story, which is you didn't choose it, you, you sort of fall in into it but uh i i uh i got put on an insurance job my first uh, ever project at, at price waterhouse as it was then uh, and i just really enjoyed it and i think the thing that I, I liked the most was the fact that the company was having a big impact on people's lives in a positive way you know getting them you know getting them off the roadside if their car broke down or whatever it may be and uh and the fact that the company could predict how often that was going to happen to you and what it was going to cost when it did I just thought that was amazing. And this is the mid-90s when we had a lot less computing power than we do now. So I, I don't know, something about that I just thought was really interesting. It's changed a little bit since then, hasn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the, the the central bit is still there. I guess they still uh, predict how many motor claims they're going to have and whether it's going to be, you know, replacing a, a door or, or, you know, write-off or whatever. But the impact it has, uh, the way you interact with your insurer is probably totally different, mm-hmm. I suspect companies that I was working with probably went via agents or maybe you you arranged it on the phone uh, and now most people will do it with a couple of swipes on their phone and, and that's uh, you know a very different experience both buying insurance and making claims as well so yeah very different. Yeah you can't buy insurance from a shop anymore which um, which we've been speaking about uh, in our previous podcasts. Although uh, you know we're in we're in dive in week and it's a global festival and it's probably worth rem- remembering that what we're used to in the UK uh, isn't the same all over the world. You know, my my wife's from Texas and uh, whenever we go back there, you know, there's still the the agent at the end of the street that everyone buys their car insurance from. You know, and and uh, that's it's even though it's 2019, it's still that's the way people like to buy insurance is some, from someone they know who's in their local community and that's in a you know sophisticated society uh, mm. and we're all used to being on our phones but but uh, it doesn't mean it's the same everywhere you know exactly um so let's take it back you started with price waterhouse back in the, the 90s did you say yeah 96 december 96 so how have you managed to navigate your career through pwc to where you are today uh, well, I, uh, it's a bit of a cliche, but I came from, I didn't come straight from university. I actually worked, I was a professional rowing coach for a while. I was, that was a big thing for me. And uh, I still carried on coaching actually when I, my first few years with, with PW. And um, the more I got into the firm, the more I realized it was more like coaching, as in you take responsibility for yourself and for other people. It's a lot about getting the best out of others around you. It's quite goal oriented. Um, you've got to learn the learn the 
craft if you know what I mean you've got to learn how to be good at your job you know but that's that's kind of a given but uh the further I got through the more it was about I guess uh taking responsibility for yourself and others and and uh and a bit of leadership and motivation and I'm a quite a motivated person uh, and I think that rubs off on people around me so that was probably the the main way I I kind of got going but a big thing for me actually is uh sponsorship and and mentoring I, ha- I was really lucky to have some really good mentors uh, in my life, in my career, and and a couple of people, probably four or five over the last twenty odd years, who've really actively sponsored me, mm. uh, and they've had a big, big impact on my career, stopping me from making bad decisions, helping me, me to make some good ones, and um, and so that's something I try and do now. Now I'm in a leadership position, is try and be a sponsor for other people, not just not just partners, in particular. Uh, given that we're in dive-in week and, and all that entails, you know, me sponsoring uh, women or, or people who don't have the same opportunities that I did, maybe it's, a, you know, the, the playing field's not as level as it was for me um, to try and use use the, uh, the, the sort of responsibility and the, the influence that I have to help them out. How did you go about acquiring those sponsors? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think... Um, the first of it is is you kind of learn to find someone who's going to be a really great role model, and when you see them, just try and latch on to them. Uh, I remember my 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 dad giving me some similar advice. You know, someone he'd worked for who was a who was a very in, in, influential, inspirational guy, and he said, you know, you, your job is to try and find someone like that. This is before I even probably started work. So I, the, when I the first person I, I worked for who in the US, who's an amazing. Uh, person who's still in the industry now had big impact influence on me and but I kind of recognized it and made sure I maximized what I learned from from him um, because I guess you've got to make yourself someone who's easy to coach as well you know listen mm. to feedback and uh, we have a big feed, feedback culture at PwC okay. uh, we come from outside and sometimes find it almost almost too much because you, you're always getting feedback and you're always asking what you could do better Mm-hmm. um and it's very sort of around personal development but i that that works for me you know and uh works for lots of other people so i guess it's yeah trying to recognize when you found someone who's good uh and then trying to learn as much as you possibly can from them but i suppose in a way if you're someone who's motivated and wants to do well you they people find you as a little bit as well don't they because they mm-hmm. want they want to they want to find people who are really looking to accelerate their careers and, and do things with the, with what, what you know where they are at work absolutely and so during your journey at PwC you moved to New York can you tell us a bit about that transition uh, I mean I loved it one of the best things about a big firm like PwC is it's global um, and so you know you work pretty hard but one of the benefits is that you can go around the world I mean I think someone told me we've got more distribution than Coca-Cola I don't know if that's true but we're certainly in uh, we're in a lot of we're in, we're in uh, probably a couple of hundred countries or close to that uh, so if you want to go and work somewhere I'm not saying it's easy but it's usually possible so uh, New York I really always wanted to work in, in the US and New York was a possibility so um Actually, it, 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 there's a lot of things about it that are new and quite challenging. I had quite an established network. Uh, I've been five or six years in, in London. Uh, so I, I was giving up, up a lot of that. And, you know, didn't know that many people. 
mm. new clients, new working environment. But at the same time, you know, the firm's still the same and the job's still the same or quite similar. So it's not too much of a wrench. And obviously the language largely the same. So, uh, um, but I, I, again, this I, I got to work with someone really good and, and I just um, made sure that I, I made as much effort as possible to assimilate in that that culture and that environment which is a fair bit different from london you know it's a little that little bit faster pace and more intense so i kind of made the adjustment as quickly as i could and i absolutely loved it i thought it was fantastic and uh um there was a lot going on in the period i I was out there when i when i arrived arthur anderson had just collapsed so um the the, the sort of the accounting firms were in a lot of turmoil sobbing's oxley was just about to be passed so that had a big impact and in the insurance sector there was all the scandals about um, use of, of finite reinsurance and so most of our insurance clients were getting issued with subpoenas uh, about whether they'd done sort of risk transfer so for two or three years i was just hopping from project to project either doing sarbanes oxley or uh, or helping these companies out with these with these big um big potential suits that they had. And, but you learn a huge amount. I mean, I always say, uh, I did five years there, but it was like 10 years, like dog years or whatever, you know. So uh, uh, I came back and I felt like I'd really learned a huge amount and, and uh, had a lot more to offer when I came back to London than if I just stayed in that market. How did you go about acquiring a new network? As you said, you didn't know that many people um, in the US. Was there anything you did in particular that helped you grow that network in the, in the States? I think uh, the main thing was... Uh, there was some UK guys that I knew uh, who were over on secondment there as well, and, and a few of their sort of friends. And so there's quite a big expat network. I mean, New York's a very New York's pretty unlike any other city in the US. Really, it's quite uh, uh, transient. I would get, I would say. But um, I tried really hard not to just hang out with all the other expats, basically. Mm. So uh, um, I tried to find out as much as I could about the city, but also. Uh, just spend time with with people who were from there, uh, and and I guess the, the probably the simple thing was whenever anyone asked me if I wanted to do something, I always said yes. That was my one rule. You know, it was never I was too busy or I didn't feel like it. So even if it's something I hadn't thought about ever doing, I would say yeah. If someone offered, you know, do you want to go somewhere for the weekend or go to this game or whatever, you know, yes, absolutely, I'll do it. Let's try it. So I I, I tried a lot of things in my first year, but as a result, I met a lot of people. In there great and you know it's a very uh it's a high energy place so if that's what you like you'll always find something that you want to do and people that want to hang out and you're in japan at the moment how is the culture different there and how can you adapt yourself to the working world yeah i i certainly don't think of I, I travel here relatively often because um i mean as as you know the japanese market and the the london market have got a lot of strong ties there's been a lot of um, merger and acquisition activity and so it's a very big uh sort of capital provider i guess for for the uk um and i really like coming here and and in some ways the city is very similar to new york you know it's quite fast paced and quite big and quite dense mm. but actually working style almost couldn't be more different uh us typically is quite uh intense uh all up in your grill and uh and also a little bit command and control and people want kind of answers straight away and and my experience with the japanese way of working is it's much more measured actually very very unlikely to get decisions sort of real time in a meeting things tend to have to be discussed and then actually outside meetings and also much more long term in their thinking so 
you have to be much more patient if you're waiting for a result right or you're expecting an answer right there mm. you're not going to get it and if you try and force it you're even less likely to get it so in some ways the city is very similar but in many ways it couldn't be more different in the, in the culture and I, I wouldn't say i fully uh, figured it out but um, I actually quite enjoy the contrast it's it's nice so the US and the Japanese culture together is quite interesting to watch. Is there a significant challenge in your career that uh, you can pinpoint that you've had to overcome? Uh, on a daily basis uh, <laughs> trying to figure out how to how to do my job. Um, <laughs> I guess the main things would be I uh, when I came back from the US, I'd expected to come back and do a similar job that mm-hmm. I've been doing in, in London, sorry, in, in New York, but, uh, but actually just something happened. I wouldn't say it, was a, it wasn't a bad challenge. It wasn't a, a sort of a hardship, but it was um, uh, one, of the, one of the partners in the team had taken a, decided to take a career break, and I got asked to, to fill in for her while she was away and it was in a role that I'd never done before and I had really no experience of. It was working in the UK regulation, which by definition I hadn't been exposed to for the previous five years because I'd been in the US. So mm. uh, it was quite daunting and it was definitely the harder thing for me to choose. I probably could have taken a lot easier route, but um, <clears throat> I, I did a tiny bit of research and thought, you know, this is probably worth it. Just when Solvency 2 was about to kind of, uh, explode and uh, so I, I did that it was it was quite hard because I was having to run a team people didn't know me and and they knew more about the subject than I did mm. but um, it was great fantastic experience I'm really I'm so glad I did it because it uh, I learned I got sort of stretched in different ways and I think there's a good lesson there about you know taking a few risks every now and again and backing yourself again I had really good sponsorship from the person that had asked me to take the job on so I had a little bit of air cover while I learned the, learned the ropes and um, and it really it took my career in a very different direction than it would have done it hopefully in a positive way so uh, it was it was a bit of a bit of a leap at the time but um, definitely I'm glad I'm super glad I did it. And other than uh, doing the research, was there? Did you acquire a new mentor at that time to to uh, run ideas by? Given that it was a different area of business. Yeah. So the, the partner that asked me to do that, um, who I still work with now, and he's I'd say he's still a sponsor of mine now. He uh, he was the one that kind of when when this opening came up, I think out of the blue. So what about how about Jim for that? And I think everyone else said. Well, well, you know, how could he do that? He's, he's never done that before. But I guess he he backed me and wanted to give me the opportunity. Mm. Uh, and then the partner that I worked with a lot when I came back, who's very, very different stylistically from me, super uh, reflective guy, very wise. Um, he definitely was a, a mentor for me. And we have very different working styles, but um, I learned a huge amount from him. And he definitely wanted, even though he wasn't like me, he wanted me to be successful because that would be good for, for everyone. So uh, he definitely guided me, gave me a lot of advice when I was uh, trying to figure things out to start with. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I still, he's, he's now retired, but I still keep in touch with him. And he's someone who, again, who had a big influence on the way I think about things. And that's good, isn't it? You've got to work with people mm-hmm. who are not like you and learn as much as you can from them. Exactly. So what did success look like for you Back when you started your career, and what does it look like for you now? <laughs> uh, well, it's a bit of a cliche. When you when you join uh, an accounting firm, as I did, to to get your kind of qualifications, success means 
uh, passing your exams, not get, not getting fired, right? So uh, uh, you get you get booted out. I think in the first couple of weeks if you don't pass your first exam. Uh, so it was kind of it was very tactical, you know, don't survive. Mm. But uh, but after that, I thought after the first two three years, I, I figured out that actually it was an environment that that suited me, and so I could I could you know have have a career if I wanted to. But I definitely didn't expect to still be here. Mm. Or, you know, I say to people I've been with PwC twenty three years, and they sort of say, "Wow, you know, no one does that anymore. No one, no one, no one works in one place for that long anymore." So, um, I, I guess it was. I, I certainly didn't join expecting to be a partner. I joined to uh, to just try and learn and, and get my qualifications. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess when I got back from the US, it was you know I've got an opportunity to be a partner. But I didn't think I'd be leading the insurance practice. And if I think about the people who were doing that when I started, I really, really looked up to those people. And so uh, it's still a bit, I still have to sort of, I wouldn't say pinch myself, but, you know, I still have to remind myself that, that that's the job I'm doing. You know, we have, I don't know, something like 1,200 people in our practice in the UK. And it's um, it's very connected with, you know, our, our US practice, which is our biggest one and a you know, big part of our global network. And a lot of our clients are global. So it's a, uh, Yes, big responsibility, and I, I love it. I love my job. It's, uh, I guess that's probably part of the secrets too, is just try and enjoy it and do something that you genuinely enjoy while you're doing it rather than it being a means to an end, you know. Mm. And take the plunge when it comes. Take the plunge when it comes, but also, uh, I, I, and more and more, I, I would hope, you know, for a while now, certainly not too recently, I've been trying to also think about, okay, well, what's the next generation? I've got a great piece of advice uh, when I was working for another one of my my mentors and sponsors in the US, mm. who was the guy that probably stopped me from from taking a job outside the firm that would have been a real mistake. Mm. Uh, uh, so he was a partner, and I think he took a lot of a lot of um, satisfaction in me me uh, getting into the partnership. But he, he his advice to me was, as soon as you make partner, you spent all your your career trying to get there, and when you do, you realise the biggest impact you can have is getting other people through to partnership because actually, yeah. the partnership's going to be successful based on having lots of good people in it, not just you. Mm. And and he's absolutely right. You you get over the your own career journey pretty quickly and start thinking about helping other people. Uh, so I've tried to you know I, you get a lot more satisfaction from seeing people that you've worked with and 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 sort of mentored a little bit come mm. through than anything you can achieve mm. in your in your day or your week so that's I think a big part of it because obviously if you have a lot of people like that around everybody's trying to work with each other and help each other out it's a great environment I'm not saying it's all perfect but uh, on our good days I think that's the way we operate mm, and it's a good step in the right direction anyway exactly exactly so um you just said you've been with PwC for over 20 years. So you've seen the organize, organization change. And um, they're involved in a huge variety of great initiatives uh, in, in the insurance industry and, and wider. Could you tell us a little bit about those? Uh, well, I think we do a lot in the UK. So if I, if I take a couple of examples in, in our UK business, not just in our insurance practice, but things that we do, firm wide and we have an amazing like 20 22,000 employees in the UK so it's a big business mm. um, one of the things that we were talking about yesterday at the dive in our dive in launch event was 
Tech She Can, which is, uh, you know, we've, we've done a lot to try and increase the number of women working in technology in PwC, in, in regardless of the industry. But after a while, um, Sheridan Ash, who's the lady that, that leads that for us, was saying there's only so many that we could bring in because we actually had a problem with the pipeline coming into the organization. And that's why Tech She Can, she started that, which was, you know, to try and increase the flow from, from teaching technology and STEM subjects in schools and universities. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. We had a 11-year-old uh, young girl who came in and spoke to us at the beginning of our event, which was mind-blowing. She'd, she'd come in and been involved in the tech she can process in her school and had met people from PwC. And so she came in a year later to tell us how it had been going. And it was, I mean, it was re- really impressive. So you see the impact that has. And uh, I think we've got 100 and something, 130 organizations signed up to also sponsor school so you you have a long-term impact Mm. um but we also we've just started something around uh trying to increase our sort of digital the the digital enablement of our people so we have a bunch of digital ambassadors who volunteered to be kind of catalysts within the organization because we all realize we've got to change faster Mm. so that we can help our clients out so those are two big things I'm, i'm sort of picking technology we have a lot of community programs a lot of things that we do um but the the other big thing that i kind of got into was was he for she Mm. which was something that our senior partner who's based in the u.s kind of sponsored uh i guess it's a u.n initiative from a few years ago and Mm. it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me he for she because i don't know if you know about it but it's you know this concept that men supporting women in the workplace and trying to help promote women um, and and it kind of gives men a role because all the things I talked about in my career, I was I was very privileged to have people uh, wanting to look out for me, and I guess part of that was because I had some things in common with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what is but but that I'm very conscious that I'm lucky with that, and, and that's part of my sort of upbringing. So how can I try and have be a positive role model and, and make an impact with people who don't have the same uh you know good fortune that i had and mm. so that gave me a role and it's so he for she i i, I love as a concept because it's a way for people like me uh to have an impact on uh the women who work in in our teams uh you know and, and actually rather than just feeling bad about the fact that we don't have more women mm. in the workplace yeah. or in leadership positions you actually have a job to do which is okay was well, your job to go and fix that and you and here's here's the role that you can play so i I've been, that's one of many things we do in PwC, but for me personally, that was a, a bit of a light bulb moment that that's something that I can do that will make a difference because mm-hmm. on one level, I'm not helping the statistics, right? Uh, but uh, maybe I can help the statistics in a different way. And so I'm assuming you've made a he for she pledge? I have. I have. I made a pledge. And, and that was a great, that's the, that's the beauty of it, right? You make a public pledge and uh, everyone can hold you. They can look it up. They can Google it or whatever. And uh and uh, hold you to, hold you to account. Mm. Um, and one thing we're talking about a lot recently is tackling unconscious bias. Um, we all have it, uh, and there's no denying that. Is there anything that you, any advice that you could give to for people trying to tackle their own unconscious bias? Uh, I mean, I, this uh, it's a big topic. It was interesting. We had. Um, Amanda Blanc yesterday uh, was our keynote speaker at our event. She was fantastic. She's a, a great, you know, very high-profile, successful executive 
insurance executive in her own right, but also pretty outspoken on on these topics. And she was she was great actually, and made me think because she said, you know, very easy things like unconscious bias to say, well, we did our training, we did our unconscious bias training, and we everyone signed up that they'd done that, and then we, uh, you know, and then we went off and carried on doing what we'd been doing all along. So we we definitely had a big we were probably quite early adopters of all that kind of training uh open mind is it was the course that that we used and it was something that actually at the time was award-winning it was quite groundbreaking but this is probably eight or nine years ago uh but then it's kind of more practical steps isn't it so things like interviews making sure you've got a diverse panel doing the interview because even if i've done lots of training i'm still going to be if it's just me doing the interview i'm mm-hmm. going to bring some devices with me so how can i try and uh, adjust for that and the other thing is uh, just expanding the people that you're interviewing for whether it's internal promotions uh, or external recruitment try and expand to try and have as diverse a, a candidate pool as possible we talk about not lowering the bar but widening the gate so like try and get more people you know encourage people who might not otherwise put their names forward Mm. Um, so you know internally I, I work with a couple of our really talented um, female sort of emerging leaders who probably wouldn't have put themselves forward for promotion last year um, and sort of encourage them to do it help them a little bit with that mm. that's that's all just part of it so that that's I'm, I'm slightly moving away from unconscious bias there but it's um, I guess the more you try and put different people uh, in front of you in, in things like those interview situations, uh, the harder it is to be biased, I suppose, because you're just mm-hmm. getting exposure to lots of different people. And so PwC are well on their journey to trying to be as diverse and inclusive as they can be as an organization, which is fantastic. Not um, not every organization is at the same uh, same level. What advice could you give to someone in an organization that isn't already doing, uh, isn't being proactive in their DNI journey? For, for, yeah, we have a lot of resources to throw at it. Um, but some of the things that we do, I don't think are things that you have to do as a big organization. So um, I think after I, one of the, one of the partners who I learn a lot from is John Terry, who speaks a lot on, on, gender balance and, and um, reward he's a reward specialist um would say that what we moved from quite quickly was output measuring outputs to measuring inputs so you you get you take some accountability right the way through the organization and that's probably almost harder to do in a big organization like pwc because you can have people at the top saying yes it's really important publicly but there's a huge amount of layers inside so firstly is is have accountability so make sure that everyone feels responsible <clears throat> and you've got you've made some commitments secondly that, that kind of middle management is is as motivated as as if you like the people who are on stage talking on panels and then thirdly is measure inputs not outputs so how many candidates have you got going into processes how many people have you got put forward for promotion mm. whatever it may be because otherwise what you have is a lot of good intention and then you keep measuring yourself periodically and seeing if anything's changed mm. and you're measuring outputs, not inputs. So his view would be measure your, you know, your KPIs for want of a better phrase. And we're good at that in PwC. We like measuring stuff and then holding ourselves to account to it mm. on it. Uh, make sure those are input 
based and then the outputs will take care of themselves rather than uh you know just testing once a year has our gender pay gap got any better well if you didn't change <laughs> you know the promotion process if you didn't change some of the, the 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 sort of candidates that are going into promotion if you didn't balance up your metrics well no it won't be any different so um that's the big thing and i don't think that is unique to a big organization i think getting everybody in in the organization top to bottom keyed into it and with it in their objectives and having some input metrics you can do that if it's a 20 person organization not a, not a 20,000 so my final question is what's your one piece of advice you give to someone that is uh, planning a successful career in insurance well I think it, it, I'll come back to the very first question you asked me. Lots of people don't come into insurance because they've always wanted to work in insurance. In fact, most people don't. So you're probably doing it, not sure about whether it's something for you. So I guess the, we, we talked at our at our dive-in session yesterday about how insurance doesn't do a great job and never has in my, in my time, uh, advertising to people outside the sector, if you like, that it's mm-hmm. great. So the first thing would be, Take the time to understand what a fantastic uh, role insurance has to play. I'm, I'm biased because I, I look after our insurance practice in the UK, but I think insurance is a fantastic business and the difference it can make to people's lives in a positive way, whether it's saving, you know, protecting your income, you know, if you're ill, care in later life, whether it's, you know, you know repairing your house when you've had a flood whatever it may be these things that you you need help at key points in your life mm. sure that's a great thing uh, you know great role to offer so you're in a great sector and take the time to maybe understand it that, would, that might be one but for your own career uh i guess it was it's a bit like my my message to myself in your you know take opportunities when they come back yourself and that's particularly with people maybe who are a bit less confident uh, you know, don't look at all the things you're not qualified for. Think about the things that, that you are. Look, you know, focus on the things that you're good at and, um, you know, take take a few risks. You know, if the opportunity presents itself, take a risk. I think we could probably all do with that. That's great. Thank you so much, Jim, uh, for joining us today. No, this is great. I uh, My first podcast, I enjoyed it. Thank you for inviting me. Great. No, thank you for coming. See you. Bye. You've been listening to the ISC podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate, subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. You can get more information about the ISC at www.theinsurancesupperclub.com. Our show is produced by Connor Sweetman of Breakthrough Media. I'm Lara Pedley. See you next time.